Last week, we began looking at some of the people that Paul mentions at the end of his letter to the Colossians. We only covered the first two, Tychicus and Onesimus. Um, they're two of the men that Paul entrusted to carry the letter, the letter to the Colossians, and along with that, uh, there was a letter to Philemon, which uh, was referenced there, and we're going to look at it again a little bit today. Uh, the, the letter to uh, the Colossian church here that we've been looking at, um, and then there's a lot of similarities in the end of the letter to Philemon, which was written, it seems, at the same time, delivered at the same time. It really dealt with Philemon um, accepting back his runaway slave, Onesimus. Uh, but we're not in that. Today we're going to continue looking at uh, the others that God felt it was important for Paul to include in this letter, uh, you know, to the Colossians, so that. Uh, the Colossians would be reminded of them, and all those who would read it in years to come, including us, would also be reminded of them. So let's pray, and we will look at what God has for us. Father, thank you for your word and truth. Thank you for those uh, who have touched our lives. And as we look now at uh, some of these folks who touched the lives of the Colossians, uh, those that you wanted to remind them of, Help us to learn as well. Help us to learn your word, your truth, and what it means to be yours, more of what that means to have that relationship with you, to uh, <clears throat> to be able to walk with you daily, to be able to um, uh, follow you. Uh, we've been thinking of that through this, all of these sermons. Um, and don't let us ever forget it, the importance of following you. Thank you. And continue to teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, if you uh, want to turn there or get there, however it is you get there, Colossians chapter 4, we're going to go through a little bit at a time. Um, I originally planned on, this is just going to be one of uh, the last three sermons in the book, but today we're doing three sermons in one, don't worry, it's not going to be an hour and a half um, at least I hope not, so let's get into it here. We're going to try to finish this whole book up today. Uh, just follow along the first uh, couple of verses there. Verse 10 that we're looking at. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. Uh, these alone of the circumcision are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. What a great, what a great um, description. You know, they've been a comfort uh, to me. Let's look at these couple here for a minute there. Uh, the, first, for the person Paul mentions after Tychicus and Onesimus, who we looked at last week, is, um, is Aristarchus. And he's mentioned in many other places. Here uh, in Colossians, Paul describes him as a fellow prisoner. That came about um, from that riot in Ephesus we mentioned briefly last week. We looked at it. Here's a little bit fuller look, a little bit fuller look at that riot in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. It says, during that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. See, a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, 
But in almost all of Asia, this man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that the gods made by hands are not gods. Imagine that. Um, So not only do we run the risk that our business may be discredited, uh, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised. And her magnificence comes to the verge of ruin, the very one all Asia and the world adore. Uh, When they had heard this, they were filled with rage. Rage. Ever met someone filled with rage? Maybe you've been that someone filled with rage sometimes. And this is what happens when you do it. And they began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus Macedonians, uh, who were Paul's traveling companions. Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. So Paul's preaching causes the silversmiths to stir up the people into a major disturbance, into a riot. Uh, you know, and you know, Aristarchus gets dragged into the amphitheater. Paul, the one who was doing the preaching, the one who was who was you know laying that message out there that started this uh, whole riot here, uh, he he you know he's left outside the amphitheater, and it, it seems you know Aristarchus was willing to take the heat. Uh, he was you know he wasn't just associated with Paul; he was associated with Paul's message of faith in Christ. You know, it wasn't just Paul; it was that message that was the problem. That message of faith in, in Christ Jesus and against the worship of false gods. And he was, he was connected to that because Aristarchus wasn't following idols. He was following Jesus, you see. And that was a problem for those people. That he wasn't following idols, instead he was following Jesus. Now he could have said, you know, hey, it wasn't me, it was Paul. You know, Paul's the guy. I mean, you know, even, you know, even what's his face, you know, Demetrius said, hey, it's, you know, what this Paul guy is preaching. You know, and he could have said, you know, it wasn't me, it's Paul, um, you know, but he didn't do that. He was, he was willing to be associated with that unpopular message. He was willing to be associated with that message that wasn't accepted by the people he was surrounded by. Because, see, he wasn't following Paul, he was following Jesus. He wasn't following the dictates of the society. He was following Jesus. He wasn't following what was popular. He was following Jesus. Now, he had a decision to make here. You know, he could step back from the message about Christ and he could point out, Paul's the instigator, not me. Or he could stand up and identify with that very message that they were protesting. He could stand up and, and, and you know, say, this is what I believe. Don't ever be embarrassed to be associated with Christ Jesus. Don't ever be embarrassed about that. Don't ever be ashamed about it. Now, sometimes it can be uncomfortable. You know, we can be, we can be the focus of some people's anger and hatred. But still, follow Jesus. You know, we, could be, we can be called ignorant, bigoted, fanatical, ignorant, Still follow Jesus. You know, you could be excluded from the discussion. You can be excluded from activities. But still 
follow Jesus. Don't let those other things dictate what you're going to do. Make sure that you are still going to follow Jesus. Now, Aristarchus here, he was one of those along with Tychicus, who we looked at last week, who accompanied Paul as they escaped uh, the riots here you know, in Ephesus. It seems he ended up being arrested later with Paul because you'll notice here in Colossians, Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner. He's a fellow prisoner. And we also see that in Acts, he's on that trip through Macedonia that we mentioned last week. Acts chapter 20, it says he was accompanied by uh, Sopater, the son of Phyrus. We don't have names like this anymore, do we? Uh, from Berea. Aristarchus and, Sedun- and Secundus uh, from Thessalonica. Gaius from Derby, uh, Timothy and Tychicus from, and Trophimus from Asia. You see, he was part of that group that, that helped Paul escape and, and get out, and they had to go then through Macedonia because it was dangerous for him. He was part of the group, uh, you know, as, as Paul um, and other prisoners were transported to Rome after Paul's appeal to Caesar. Acts chapter 27, it says, When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. Uh, so when he had boarded the ship of, of Adamartheum, uh, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, you notice it says with us. Luke is the one writing here. Luke is the one writing Acts, and he is with Paul at this time. Luke's going to be mentioned a little later in Colossians here. And Paul mentions him to Philemon. We said these letters were sent at the same time, and in to Philemon he refers to him as his co-worker. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. You know, that letter was sent along with the letter to the Colossians here, uh, you know, to, that, that was there. Uh, you know, but, but don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. And don't ever be ashamed of being associated with his people. Now, sometimes his people can do stupid things. Uh, but Jesus is the one that we're following. Jesus is the one we're associated with. Now, after Aristarchus, Paul mentions Mark. Barnabas's cousin, he said. It was Mark's mother's home that Peter went to after Peter's miraculous release from prison. He was he was arrested, uh, Peter and John, and they were in um, in the prison. And says they were singing, and uh, you know, well, as they were worshiping, said, so, well, God came in and released them. It says the uh, earthquake, whatever it was, it, it shook. Uh, and the prison doors were open, and you know, so they they were released from prison. And he went to, uh, well, he went to uh, Mary's house. Mark, John, Mark's brother, mother, says when he realized this, when he realized Peter realized he was released, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, Mark, uh, where many had assembled and were praying. Uh, you know, he, he he they they must have met there regularly. Or they must have had plans to meet there, because Peter knew, you know, where to go, and he he went over there, and it was John Mark's Mark John Mark's uh, mother's house, and Mark also accompanied Saul, Paul, uh, and Barnabas as they shared the gospel, collected relief offerings. Acts chapter twelve it says, then God's mess <clears throat> then God's message flourished and multiplied after they had completed their relief mission. Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem 
taking along John, who is also called Mark. Now in Colossians here, Mark is also described as a co-worker. But at one time, Paul, <laughs> Paul did not think of Mark very highly. Uh, he was honked off at him. He was sorely vexed at uh, uh, Mark for a while. Um, Mark left the group during one of their missionary trips. Acts chapter 13, it says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. John, that's John who was also called Mark. John, you know, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, we're not given the details as to why he left. Not anywhere. Uh, but later, uh, in, in Acts chapter 15, uh, Barnabas wants to bring Mark with them again. And that idea did not uh, butter Paul's bagel. He did not. He, you know, this was not something he, was, he, he wanted to happen at all. He says, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along Mark. But Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So John Mark, you know, leaving there really, it really kinked Paul's hose. You know, he, uh, he, he, you know, and asking, asking, asking Mark to come along again, you know, really tweaked his twizzler. He didn't want that going on. You know, Mark's decision to leave, which was recorded there in Acts 13, was something that really grated Paul's cheese. He didn't want this guy, he didn't want this guy with him. You know, it, it, he was so annoyed by it that he didn't even he didn't even want Mark with them anymore. You know, he, I, he saw no reason to have him here, and it was to the point that Paul was willing to part company with Barnabas over this. You know, the, after these guys had traveled on all these other missionary journeys, he was willing to part company with them. And here in Colossians, notice Paul says, "If Mark comes to you, welcome him." If Mark comes to you, welcome him. Somewhere between the events of Acts chapter 15, where they parted company, you know, and, and Paul's imprisonment you know, of sending this letter to the Colossians, somewhere in there, and that's a, a 12 to a 15 year period, somewhere in there he had settled things with Mark. He didn't just leave him there. He didn't just dismiss him because of their disagreement before. Somewhere along the line there, he forgave him. You know, we need to forgive and not hold a grudge. Some things take time. Some things are hard. But forgive. Don't hold a grudge. It, it, when you don't forgive... Whatever it was you're not forgiving is what is now controlling you. What was controlling Paul at that time when he and Barnabas split, what was controlling Paul at that time was his, his anger with John Mark for leaving them. 
and it created such a you know such a problem for him that it, it separated the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, the guys who had traveled together and seen so much, the guy that Paul really said, hey, let's go back and see these guys. Wasn't that a great trip? Let's go back and see them and see how they're doing. Okay, let's take Mark. No. But he, you see, because he wouldn't forgive at that point, that was controlling, you know, that was, that was controlling his responses and, and his reactions, you know, what was going on there. Now you can say you forgive, you know, but actually still hold something against someone. Oh, I forgive you. But we really don't. What we mean is sometimes is, um, I know I'm supposed to forgive you, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you I do it, but I really, you really still kind of gnaw at my craw. I read a story, uh, a news article just this morning. Uh, it's concerning the growing Amish population in Michigan and the uh, buggies on the road and stuff. And this article was there, uh, and this came to light again because a eleven um, year old and a seven year old boy were taking their buggy it said a two wheel buggy to school uh, in the morning, something that was the very first time they did and as they were waiting to cross the road, um, the horse got spooked, it said, and went jumped out in front of this car who then T-boned this buggy. Uh, and there were actually three children in there. Uh, the 11-year-old and the 7-year-old died. And uh, I just can't imagine that. Their other sister survived. And in that article... It said, and you've heard of this happen before, that the Amish parents went to this man's house. Not to berate him. Not to tell him what a horrible thing he did. But they went there to tell him, this wasn't your fault. We want you to know we hold nothing against you. We want you to know we forgive you and we are praying that God will comfort you. Man. Forgiveness is huge. It's important. Not only for the one being forgiven, but for those doing the forgiveness. Forgive, don't hold a grudge. Now Paul not only forgave Mark, he wanted others to know that he had forgiven Mark. You need to remember that your opinion of other people affects those folks that you're talking to. It affects those people that you are speaking with. And how... The Colossians, it seems, had heard about this dust-up between Paul and Mark. 
Paul wanted to make sure that they were not holding a grudge against Mark for what he, for, because Paul was angry with him. He wanted them to know that they had worked this out. And when you see Mark, you know, he says, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. He encouraged them to welcome Mark. Not simply accept him, but to welcome him. To make him feel as if he's a, a part of, of things. To let him know, you know that, that you're glad that he's there. Welcome him. Well, then Paul continues with the list of people. Uh, who send their greetings. Uh, verse 11 again, he says, so does uh, Jesus, who is called justice. That one throws you just a little bit, does it? Uh, it says, these alone of uh, the circumcision are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, of the circumcision, those uh, you know, of the, of the uh, Jewish culture. Um, it says, and they had been a comfort to me. Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave for Christ, greets you. He's always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Uh, the, the only place, you know, that this particular justice that he talks about in verse 11, Jesus who is called justice, uh, this is the only place that he is mentioned. Now, there is a, uh, a Barsabbas who was also known as Justice, who was one of those considered to replace Judas. In Acts chapter 1, we see him, he's mentioned, uh, but that's a different person. And in Acts chapter 18, there's a man named Titus Justice, uh, who Paul went to stay. He lived next door uh, to the temple, and um, Paul went to stay with him, or the synagogue. Paul went to stay with him after the Corinthian Jews rejected Paul's message. You know, Paul says, I'm leaving you dudes. And he went next door uh, to Titus Justice's house. Uh, but that's, that's a different one. All we know about, about uh, this just, Jesus who is called Justice is this mention of him here. Uh, here in Colossians, you know, uh, that's it. But notice what it says. He was a comfort to Paul. A comfort to Paul. Um. We need, we need comfort. And remember that sometimes you may be the one to bring that comfort to someone else. Well, I don't know what to say. Maybe you shouldn't say anything. Maybe you should just be there. Job's friends were the best friends to him uh, their first week when they kept their mouths shut but just stayed with him. They just were there to be with him. To let them know that he cared. Sometimes that's what we need. Someone just to be there with us and to care. Um, I'm going, it, the doctor sent me to physical therapy and they're working out the, the, the um, um, scar tissue. They're working on a scar tissue in my abdomen from the surgery and stuff. And, um, so the, while she's kneading my stomach, um, she said, what? "She said, what'd you do when you had those bladder spasms?" She said, "That must have been miserable." I said, "Yeah, it was." She said, "Well, what did you?" She said, "You know, like, what did you do? What'd your wife do?" I said, "She stood next to me." 
And I needed that. I needed that. She couldn't do anything to make him stop. She couldn't do anything to make him go away. But it was a comfort to have her there. Jesus, who was called Justice, for he was a comfort to me. The next name is Epiphras. He's also mentioned in the first chapter of Colossians. He says, in the first chapter, you learn this from Epiphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. Dearly loved fellow slave. He's a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, in both places, in the first chapter and here, he's referred to as a slave, a fellow slave, seemingly referring to his strong commitment to Christ. Um, The only other place that he's mentioned is in Philemon, a letter, again, that was written the same time as Colossians here. It says, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Seems he was also a prisoner with Paul in Rome. Here in Colossians chapter 4, he's described as one of them. He is one of you, he says. He's one of them. So perhaps he was a Colossian, we don't know, but also as one who was always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. What a prayer. What a great prayer to pray for someone, that they can stand mature, that they can be fully assured in everything that God wills. It reminds me of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It says where he he prays this. This is a great thing for for you to be able to pray for someone. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through His Spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Take time to pray for others. Take time to pray for others. Pray what you see here in Colossians, that they may stand mature, that they might be fully assured in everything that they might be fully assured in everything that God wills. To be able to grasp onto the fact that God's will is more important than our will and than our wants. Pray those verses from Ephesians for them. Verse 14, let's pick this up. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nymphia and the church in her home. Uh, When this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus to pay attention to the ministry you have received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Remember my imprisonment. 
Grace be with you. He mentions Luke, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the author of Acts. And you know, I mentioned you see parts of it. He traveled with Paul uh, a lot through much of what you read in Acts. When you're reading through Acts and where he refers to we and us, it's when Luke is with him. When he refers to uh, them and they, he's not doing a gender proper, uh, well, he's doing proper pronouns because he wasn't with them. And so he was talking, you know, there. But you, you see, uh, and he was a physician, um, you know, but he, and then he mentions Demas. He's simply mentioned here, and in Philemon, Paul refers to him as his co-worker. But there's a disturbing mention about Demas in Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. It says, "Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica." Because he loved this present world. And the world and the things going on in the world took his attention. Don't ever think this can't happen to you. Don't ever think that it can't happen to you. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, 23 says, Guard your heart above all else. For it is the source of life. Jesus said where your heart is, what? There your treasure will be. Because your heart, those things, those, what, what it is that drives you, what it is that you want, what it is that you're striving for, is going to guard your heart above all else. Demas didn't guard his heart because he loved this present world. Well, it mentions Nympha, and this is the only mention here, you know, and she had a church in her house. Her house, Archippus is only mentioned here and in Philemon where Paul refers to him as a fellow soldier. But look at what he says to Archippus. He says, pay attention, you know, in verse 17. Pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so you can accomplish it. Great words for us as we finish up this letter to the Colossians. Pay attention to the ministry you have received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Pay attention so you can accomplish it. You know, uh, whatever God has given you to do, finish it. You say, well, I don't know what he's given me to do. Well, part of it you do, you just don't realize it. The job you have, the place you live, God has put people around you that need to know about Jesus. God has put you in the midst of some of those who need to know about the Lord. Maybe some of your friends. Well, I don't have any friends who aren't Christians. Eh. I was going to say too bad, you know. Um, maybe you don't because you've helped them all come to know Christ. That would be pretty cool. Um, but you know, pay attention to where God has you. Pay attention to where he has you. That is your ministry. Where he has you is your ministry. You don't have to pray and say, Lord, what do you have for me? You need to say, Lord, open my eyes to where you have me. To where you have me right now. Because if you're following Jesus, if you're following him, you are where he wants you. If you're following him, you are involved there in that ministry that you've received from him. And whatever God has given you to do, finish it. 
we are too easily distracted. Too easily distracted. Two things come to mind to my mind when I, I think of our biggest distractions. Both of them involve the uh, Apostle Peter. Um, the first incident was when the disciples were caught in a storm. Jesus had fed 5,000. He sent the disciples off, said, go boys, I'll dismiss them. Uh, they took off in a boat. Jesus dismisses the people, goes up on a mountain to pray. He's up on a mountain to pray. It says he sees that these guys, the disciples, guys, are out there uh, struggling at, at, at the oar. You know, they're, they're battling. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to get going, and they're just, you know, they're, they're rowing in circles. And, um, you know, and so the, Jesus goes out and walks to them. On water, and it says when Jesus came out and walked to them on the water, they were a bit flummoxed. You know, they didn't know what are we supposed to do here? Who is that? What, you know, what's going on? And then Jesus tells them, "What great words! It's it's I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." Man, they come over and over again, you know, that don't be afraid. Well, anyway, Peter says, if that's you, how about you know you let me come walk to you on the water? And then we read this. Jesus says, "Come." And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I think he did it with a lot more emotion than that. You know, uh, Save me! Um, immediately, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? You see, this is one of the distractions for us walking on water. No, no. One of the distractions for us is what's going on around us. Is what we're in the midst of. And what we're in the midst of becomes a distraction and gets our attention and we take our eyes off the Lord. Now, Peter couldn't walk on water, but Jesus helped him to do what he could not do. Jesus called him and said, come. And he helped him to do what he could not do. Lord, I can't handle what you have for me. Good. Because you know what? Then you're in a good spot because you're beginning to trust him. When you say, I can't do what you're asking me to do, don't just sit down and say, Lord, help me do it. I'm going to walk hand in hand with you. You know, He's going to take him. And when he slipped, Jesus had him. Now the second incident also is from Peter. It's in John's Gospel, at the end of John's Gospel. Uh, Peter had just finished, uh, Jesus and, and Peter just finished a discussion that many see as uh, Jesus reinstating Peter and encouraging him. Peter denied the Lord three times, and then three times he asked him, you know, Peter, do you love me? And, you know, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Asked him again, well, by the third time, Peter's getting a little ticked and said, dude, can't you hear? Uh, I, I told you I love you. Anyway, and, and, and as that conversation goes on, we read this. It says, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple that Jesus loved following them. That disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, um, who, who is the one that's going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain till I come, Jesus answered, what's that to you? As for you, follow me. As for you, Follow me. You know, just like Peter, we are very easily distracted by other people. And we are distracted by what other people are doing. Sometimes because it bugs us, sometimes because we want to do something like that. You know, and we're distracted. You know, when we get our focus on other people, we lose our focus on God and what he has for us. And we lose the focus even on those he has surrounded us with. And we lose our focus, you know, because we're focusing in on what they're doing and we're focusing in on what we're in the midst of, you know, and we're not focusing in on God. Remember, God has got you. He has you. 
He knows where you are. He knows what you are facing. He knows what you can do. And He is able and willing to help you do more than you are able. Don't be distracted. Follow Christ Jesus. Follow Him. You, not may, you, you may not think that what you do is very important, you know, and you not, might, may not think of where you are, uh, you know, is not at all for God, you know, and not very much, it's not very important at all. But as I read these names here, as I read these names at the end of, of the book of Colossians, most of these people we know very little about. But they made an impact on Paul, and these people made an impact on the Colossians. Five of the eight people mentioned that we looked at today, five of these, you know, mentioned in these verses here, we know next to nothing about. But God knew them. God knew them and God used them in Paul's life and God used them in the life of the Colossian church. And now he's used them in our lives as well. I want to mention something to you as we wrap this letter up that I mentioned to you at the beginning of it and you've heard me say before. You are the very best Christian some people know. Some of those people in your neighborhood where you live, you are the very best Christian they know. Some of the people that you work with, you are the very best. Some of the people you know, that, that, you, that are, are related to you, you are the very best Christian they know. So make sure that you are following Jesus Christ. Make sure you are living for him. Who is it that you would want to come to Christ? Who is it that you want to come and follow Christ? God has given you a connection with him. Who is it that you are connected with that you want to see come know Christ? God has given you that connection with him. So you make sure you are following Christ. Make sure you are walking with him. Make sure you are talking about him. This week, God gave, there's three very specific opportunities God gave me this week, just in the course of, of life, where, you know, he just opened that door and it was like he said, say something. One was with my therapist, you know, when she was, you know, needling the scar tissue and, and, and stuff. And when she was done and she mentioned something and I just, you know, I just said, you know, God's been very gracious to me. In, in this whole thing, and just to be able to share with her a little bit. You know, and another, we had some, um, some uh, people come over to, get, we're getting some, trying to think about getting some work done at the house, and they came over and they were doing it, and, and uh, I was talking to them, and it was the same thing, you know, and I just able to tell them, you know, God has, God has always taken care of us. And then one of our neighbors that I hadn't met before, I just, just met them uh, this week. I went down. Um, they had a company that we were looking at doing the same work that we were wanting done. I went down to see how it was. I said, hey, I noticed those trucks in front of your house before. I said, not being nosy, but here I am. Anyway, um, but just even in talking with them and being able to tell them, 
about the fact that God is a loving God and how he's loved me. Who is it? Who is it that God has surrounded you with? In your neighborhood? In your work? Your relatives? Your friends? Who is it that needs to know Jesus? You might be the very best Christian they know. Make sure you are following him and that you are talking about him and that others know who you are following. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for those who have followed you and helped us to know you and helped us to follow you. We forget sometimes about those around us. We forget those you've surrounded us with. But I see these names, and I'm just reminded that you used them in Paul's life. Someone who we look at and we say, oh yeah, Paul, there's a guy. We'd like to be like that. But yet we see these names who influenced him. We see these names who helped him be the person you've called him to be. We read about the Colossian church. And these people you used in their lives as well. We don't know them, but you do. You used them to touch Paul, to touch the Colossians, and now to touch us. All of us are thinking of people that need to know you. Would you be so kind as to use us to touch them? That we would be faithful to you and following you so well and so clearly and talking about you as we talk about, as freely as we talk about our frustrations, as freely as we talk about those we love and our joys, that we would talk about you the same way that others would know not only that we're following you, but that they can too. Help us to live our lives for your glory and honor, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.